Welcome to Ms. Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning, Outlaws. It's Friday. It's smoky. It's a little chilly because of that. I was away for a couple days. This week it was my birthday, and so... Uh, My partner and I went to one of our favorite places, which is the environs of Drumheller, Rosebud, and Wayne, even though sadly the Last Chance Saloon was closed due to a water shortage. And this is amid multiple storms and insane rain. Uh, So it was this weird uh, convergence of the uh, many systems that we live within, the weather systems and how they create our resources or don't. Speaking of resources, I have a little, uh, uh, well, more than a little, big girls before I introduce Kathy Stonehouse's entrances. Uh, Yeah, so first of all, there's the writer's strike in film. Uh, The film industry is in serious crisis right now. I haven't worked in it for over a year. It used to be probably close to my most stable income, not as a writer in film, of course, but as a PA and then uh, for many years working in props. And since I moved to Edmonton, of course, it's dwindled in a lot of ways, but I was still going back and forth to Vancouver. And then Warner Brothers pulled out most of its shows, and that was a huge uh, employer of mine. And then now there's been a strike for months. And of course, the writers should go on a strike because they're being treated very poorly. Writers everywhere are being treated very poorly. And we we not only have the constant pay cuts, but now we have AI and the notion that we don't even really need writers, do we? No. Who needs humans to create art? It's not art, is it? No, it's just big business. Uh, so as the studios just said, they're just waiting for writers to lose their houses and their cars and, you know, basically be groveling in the streets. And then maybe they'll come to a decision that's even lower than what they got before. Never mind the same. Uh, so and then there's the other people in the industry that are going to be massively affected by this as well, uh, up into the actors and definitely background because they've decided that background only needs to appear one day and then their image can be reproduced by AI so they don't need to be on set anymore, which of course is a massive gouge in their incomes. Where does it end? It seems these days that we're just seeing more and more and more and more jobs cut and everything is more expensive. I mean, where is the breaking point? Then we have uh, for writers in Canada, we have the access copyright issue for well over a decade. There has been a fight in the courts trying to get us back to having proper access copyright payments from CanCopy. I remember a time when my payments were roughly the same for CanCopy and PLR, ranging in the couple of grand, which is a chunk of income per year that is very essential to me who works as a bits and pieces writer most of the time with film having been my only more stable source of income, which film people find hilarious because it's actually a very erratic industry, but not as erratic and certainly way better well-paying than uh, writing, editing, tutoring, and all the rest that I do. So at any rate, 
Uh, it looks like, you know, we're, we were hoping for a resolution. We were hoping to uh, have some of that money kicked back to us. Um, and it looks like instead what's happening is the access copyright uh, collective is being dwindled and reduced. And we're never going to see a cent of that and nor are is anything uh getting better of course not um like i'm sure i've mentioned a few times on this podcast a couple of decades ago not only could you be part of uh writers unions for um very very little money uh and lots of perks and your writers fees for reading were Okay, they weren't so bad, but now they're exactly the same or less, uh, despite massive inflation. And you have to pay more to be a member of these unions. So that's not something I can afford. Uh, And uh, that negatively impacts on the community as a whole. And we don't get to get funding for traveling in the same way that we used to. And everything has just gone downhill that way, unfortunately. Uh, They expect us to write thousand word reviews for 50 bucks. And uh, it's, it's, it's just quite insane. And, you know, the even more insane part is the conflict at the core between the fact that there's all these dismantlements and there's all these dwindlings, except that there are more and more creative writing bachelors and masters and so forth than ever before. So how is this possible? How are all these people writing and publishing? And yet what nobody's buying books? Uh, There are there's no money to pay people to write to honor the craft and art of writing. Uh, There's no interest in paying people to compose critical reviews. There's no real reception of community. It's just all this funding of these programs. And you have to go and spend $30,000 to stamp that pee on your forehead and then yearn towards your potential gold stars, which, yeah, there's just an absurdity at the center. Uh, Extremely Beckettian. So, uh, speaking of something much more wonderful... An entrance today with Kathy Stonehouse, who I've known since the mid-90s. I think she was fresh from England at that time. And I had a writer's group with um, Heidi Greco and Trish, Patricia Webb. And we called ourselves the Three Little Piggies. Uh, But maybe we called ourselves that after because we'd invited Kathy to come in and be part of our group. So we must have decided after she left that we were going to be the Three Little Piggies which we called ourselves because we were all born 12 years apart from each other with me being the baby. So yeah, she came to a couple of those uh, meetings and then had other priorities, but we still kept in touch over the years. And yes, she mentions we did this reading where probably next to nobody attended. Vancouver nearly always sucks for poetry readings, alas. Um, And uh, yeah, it was organized by Gary Thomas Morse. And I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a challenge there. So uh, yeah, there was a beaded curtain. So we amused ourselves by taking photographs of each other, uh, swanning and waltzing through this beaded curtain. So that was fun. Um, poets always find a way to enjoy themselves one way or the other. And then I invited her to come and perform at my bed lecture series in 2017 when I was still in New West. And yeah, she came and she, she read in my bed 
from uh, one of her stories, uh, something about the animal, that book, that marvelous book. Uh, she's a multi-talented writer. Uh, she's got a book coming out soon, uh, Dream House from Nightwood. Uh, she lives in East Van. She's been working on new surreal poems after her mother's death relating to birthing, plague, transformations. She draws on bachelor arts poetics of space, which I'm also fascinated by. She wrote from a very young age, too, about six, had a poetry club at the university. She talks a lot about when her whole talk is focused around Plath, really, how she first visited Plath's grave and connected with her as kind of an anti-mother, mother figure. And then at the end, she reads a poem that she wrote for Plath when she was 16, which is fantastic. I certainly wasn't writing that well at 16. Uh, she mentions the line, no guts in the graveyard, which is both uh, a wonderful line and also hilarious. And then she reads um, some poems and excerpts from Dreamhouse as of a house walking. And then on what it's like to feel parented by the land in a house made for dreaming. And I'm hoping that she's going to open for me in probably my New West reading organized by Jeffrey Nielsen that will happen next year when I have my Moving to Delilah book come out because both our books are about houses and bodies and um, connecting to the land and our place in the now. So please grab a coffee and enjoy Entrances with Kathy Stonehouse. traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, mostly Tsleil-Waututh here in East Van. I'm just thrilled to be uh, participating in this very outlaw uh, poetry podcast, um, and uh, I'm really delighted to be uh, collaborating with you, Catherine. Um, our, our lives as poets uh, goes back a long way. Uh, I remember being part of a poetry group with you a long time ago, uh, uh, coming to your East Van home, uh, your kids asleep. I remember giving uh, readings together. Um, one memorable reading where I think there was like maybe two people in the audience. <laughs> oh, and there was some kind of a beaded curtain we kept coming through. Anyway, we we had so we've had some good times. So it's great to uh, continue the journey. Um, so um, I'm. I guess I really, uh, in terms of talking about poetry, um, I I have a new book coming out this fall uh, that's called Dream House, um, and it's from Nightwood Editions. And um, this book has been quite a while gestating. And uh, it's, it's kind of a distillation of writing, a lot of which I did uh, in the wake of my mother's passing, but also before that, um, when I was uh, visiting England, going back and forth, uh, emptying her house and going through her stuff. And um, it was a very surreal time. And um, 
the poems in this book are quite surreal, compressed. Um, they're very much about um, the strangeness of, of uh, the ordinary. Um, it's a long poem, really. Um, it's, it's kind of poetry of the body, uh, poetry of, I, I guess I'd say, transubstantiation, if that's not too religious. Uh, so a lot of it is about birthing, um, I guess, birthing oneself as a poet. Um, there's a section on pregnancy um, and also um, thinking about, you know, the, the, the constant um, uh, change that's happening. Um, and and uh, it was written during COVID when time was very strange. So that's also present, I think. Um, it takes its cue from Gaston Bachelard's Poetics of Space and um, investigates female embodiment, um, calling up feral liminal spaces such as the pregnant body, the aging mind, snail shells, broom closets, low ceilinged pubs and abandoned pizza boxes. That's a little clip from the kind of summary of the book. Um, so um, I guess uh, thinking about making this podcast um, uh, coincided with me digging through some old uh, materials and I found uh, one of my first publications. Um, I know that I was also listening to Jenna Butler's beautiful entrances and a lot of talk about being a, um, a poet and a writer from an early age. Well, I too uh, wrote poetry actually from the age of about six, five or six, um, and when I went to university, um, I was part of a poetry club, and before that, um, at the age of about 15, 16, um, I went on a, I went to like a poetry uh, residence that I had seen an advert for in my local library, and I went by myself, I didn't know really what I was doing, um, and it ended up being uh, in Yorkshire, in a uh, took place in a house that belonged to Ted Hughes, and uh, on that trip I visited Sylvia Plath's grave in Hapton Store, and um, that was a really big moment for me um, because I had discovered her book Ariel around I don't know maybe a couple of years before and had been completely kind of viscerally shocked and gripped by the poems in that book um, by their imagery and Plath's ceaseless, restless kind of transforming of one thing into another. I found it thrilling, I became obsessed with it, I didn't really understand it. And I, I really feel like that Plath was a kind of um, poetry mother or perhaps anti-mother <laughs> to me in that way because there was something about her language that I recognized um, that felt very true. And um, I think this book, uh, I feel like it connects with that because a lot of it is about um, transformation and instability, one thing becoming something else, um, and, a, and a lot of uh, imagery and metaphor. Um, so I guess I, I was thinking about Plath. Um, you know, everybody thinks about her, the way that she left the world, but I think about... Um, I think about her uh, as a mother and a writer and the connections that she made between those experiences. 
and I was looking up her poem Morning Song, and I just found this uh, stanza that, that just um, amazes me. I'm no more your mother than the cloud that distills a mirror to reflect its own slow effacement at the wind's hand. I'm just going to read that again. I'm no more your mother than the cloud that distills a mirror to reflect its own slow effacement at the wind's hand. It's this amazing declaration of, of not being a mother and what does that mean? A cloud creates a puddle that will then reflect the cloud and the cloud's own disappearance. And in writing this book, I felt like I was the mirror that was reflecting the slow effacement of my own mother, the cloud, um, and perhaps my own s slow effacement or um, thinking about uh, my daughter and um, the passage of time. So I, uh, I just think that's an incredible image and it just uh, was something that I wanted to reference. Um, talking about talking about this book and also um, I thought I would read this poem which I still don't really understand but it's a poem that I wrote when I was uh, about 16 17 that's for Plath um, and I think I was trying to get at um, that that the way that we remember her um, the kind of sentimentalizing um, of her is something that I felt ferociously opposed to and wanted to kind of undo. So I'm going to read that poem and then I'm going to read um, a poem from uh, Dreamhouse, uh, which I, yeah, I think is, it's really an excerpt, but it reflects on this theme of kind of transformation and also the birthing of the self, uh, figuring out uh, who you are. Uh, Okay, so for Sylvia Plath, and the epigraph is how they grip us through thin and thick, these barnacle dead. I imagined sunlight in Heptonstall New Cemetery, fragments of morning half buried, finding death in chrysanthemums. There are no guts in the graveyard. Seeping into consciousness, the dull ache I sense is your fracture. That day was a birthday. Fine plates in the skull, fragile bones in the earth's surface, cracked, shifting, unemptied. And tell me, what is missing now? Yeah, I was, I was very proud of um, there are no guts in a graveyard. I thought that was a great line. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, so um, thinking of Plath, thinking of transformation, thinking of um, the fragility of our physical selves. Um, those are all themes in the book. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to read a couple of pieces from the book. Um, this is a little excerpt from uh, a section called As of a House Walking, which is about the experience of pregnancy. All that summer, the sun grows larger, trees thicker, nights brighter, water faster, time tighter, the air itself turning from gas to liquid, then back again to solid, a gelid distillation, dread and desire. 
pressed against the resistant minutes, you push your hands and belly, swollen calves and feet through each shrinking aperture to investigate the flexibility of matter, its capacity to house two separate minds at the same time. Belly ripple, spinal nub, fattened into a clarifying brilliance. Oil-filled amphoras anchored in the hulls of moving barges. Cheese curds pressed through linen to filter out what is from what is not. And the last little uh, excerpt I'll read is from a later section. Um, and it's a sort of a series of little pieces that reflect uh, moments in the natural world when I was a young person. Uh, I feel like I was very much parented by the land where I grew up as a young person in, in the northwest of England. Um, and uh, so I think this is really about um, the kind of pregnancy with the self or gestating a self. Um, so I'm just going to read that as well, thinking about Plath. Hot wasps agitating around an orange squash bottle, lips that itch, displayed pages of paperbacks. You would think you were home, except you are lost and they have forgotten to look for you, the ice cream van too far away. Out in the wood, there's a whisper of ladybirds, their red specks shiny with private meaning. Out in the wood, the shadows are cool and the acorns quietly thicken into faces. Lie down on the rubble of twigs and bracken. Imagine your ugliness troubling the wispy lichen like an anthem sung by dung beetles and harvest men. Up there, the serrated edges of sunbeams ladle light into thirsty chloroplasts and the dull pattern of your tank top fades into darkness. Up there, the beginning of the night is visible as a blue corona around each speckled iris. Your own face somehow looking down. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's from Dream House. Um, each poem is a house, a house made for dreaming. Um, there's a lot of houses and homes in the book, construction, deconstruction. Um, so thank you so much uh, for inviting me to share a little piece of my process here and, and the journey uh, toward this book. Um, and uh, yes, honoring, honoring Plath and noticing her presence uh, in, in my work or in my thinking, uh, even, even now. Um, okay, thanks very much, Catherine, and uh, hope, uh, yeah, I, I hope that um, your, I, I hope that there are more entrances. I love listening to your entrances, and um, may we continue to always be entering and re-entering uh, poetry and the poetic space. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. Stay fierce, word musicians.